This is the Minister Scusable. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. If you're listening today, I hope that you're a pastor, a music minister, or a praise and worship team member or team leader. Well, we're going to get into some nitty gritty about this area because of sexual immorality among all three categories. Now, if you're a pastor, a music minister, or you're part of the praise and worship team, and you're in sexual sins, it is a big, big abomination before God. Uh, It is very important that you live a clean life. Sadly, what has happened today is that we've allowed so much of this area untouched, simply because we want to have the best kind of singing, the best kind of music and musicians And that would be used as an attract an attraction uh, to draw people so that way they can just come and fill seats. But when there's sexual immorality going on among these three categories, it is nothing more than a den of thieves. The Bible is very clear about personal holiness, about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, which is the first topic. Uh, Second is personal holiness. Third is Shiloh. And fourth is the fear of the Lord. When we do not have these four things running consistently and constantly among us, then we're nothing more than a den of thieves. So let's dig right into this because it is a very important subject. The pastor, the music minister, the praise and worship team. This is uh, very important. As far as David is concerned, we see that music played a critical part in the worship of God. The essential part of any worship is John chapter four, verses 21 through 26. Uh, But first, I want to talk about four things. Let me uh, uh, dissect it this way. In spirit and in truth, personal holiness, which is number two, Shiloh, number three, and number four, the fear of the Lord. In spirit and in truth, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and it now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, in this story in John chapter four, we see that this woman came to draw water. But there was something wrong with her level of worship, which is uh, consistent with each and every one of us in one way or another. We honestly believe that we can worship the Lord any way we please, and he just accepts us for who we are and what we are with sin in our hearts. And that can't be. As you know, the story went on that Jesus started off with uh, a conversation about water. And then Jesus then asked her a question, go get your husband. And then she said to Jesus, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you've said very well, you have no husband, but you have had five 
husbands. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. And so Jesus was trying to help her, not expose her so that way he can score uh, points against her. But all Jesus wanted to do was to help her worship correctly. The worship of God is critical and important in these days. We see that there are many uh, professional musicians and good singers, great singers, even on a professional level. Some have entertained uh thoughts of going into the world, and some have gone into the world. But there are other skeletons in the closets of some, not all of these people. We see that this woman uh, saw that Jesus began to, as we would say, read her mail. And then she shifted the subject from the sin that was in her heart because the, the person that she was living with was not her husband. So she was living in direct, uh, uh, I would say, sin against God. And as a result, all Jesus wanted to do was get her to see that she was in sin and that her worship was not in spirit and in truth. And so many of us have done the same thing. I've done it. I've, I've done it on regular occasions thinking that God is pleased with me, but he wasn't. Uh, watching pornography and self-gratification commonly called masturbation and all sorts of wickedness and lust and lewdness was operating in my heart. And I thought that the Lord was pleased as I would use first John chapter one and verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to look at it in context of the rest of the scriptures. Especially when we look at the book of Proverbs, where it tells us that he that uh, uh, confe- uh, covers his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes his sin shall obtain mercy. Uh, it's not just in the confession of the sin, but in the forsaking of the sin. You have to walk away from it. You have to say, I've had enough of uh, disrespecting the Lord in my sin and begin to take serious uh, stock of what you're doing in the presence of the Lord. We're going to get into some of the scriptures in a moment, but uh, pastors, perhaps you're living a clean life, but you have hired a music minister or you have worship uh, people uh, that are on the praise and worship team that is living in sin. You may know it, you may not know it. And that's why you have to do a random test. You have to do a random test on the people that you are working with in the music industry. Because if you fail to do so and something slips in, it could be very easy that they could be worshiping the Lord uh, uh, in, in such hypocrisy that it brings down the quality of the worship that we're supposed to bring to the Lord. The quality of worship that we bring to the Lord is holiness, his requirements, his standards, his statutes, his judgments, everything that must, that is to be done must be done in spirit and in truth. And so once the Lord Jesus uh, pinpointed exactly what was wrong with her worship, she began to see that uh, there was something wrong with her, but she still tried to gloss it over in terms of worship. And then the Lord Jesus begins to minister to her so that way she can get it right with God. And that's the whole point. 
We don't want to be hypocrites before the Lord, and we do, do not want to be hypocrites before the people. We're up there lifting up our hands, telling how holy God is, but there is sin in the core of our lives, in the center of our lives. You can't have two lords. You can't serve two masters. You will either love the one or hate the other. And, and so uh, Jesus was trying to help her out. And then we see that the this, this story continues uh, that uh, Jesus begins to minister to her and said to her that the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such to worship him. More on this in a few moments. In some of the modern contemporary music of our day, uh, we see that the sacred has departed. Some of the music, not all of it, sounds so much like a love song between a male and a female. We forget the sacredness, the holiness, and the majesty of God. While the Song of Solomon is a book depicting the romance between Christ and his church, the bride of Christ, it is easy to justify some of the lyrics and musical arrangements in contemporary music of our day. However, if you sense within your heart that cringe, the shame and embarrassment, perhaps the lyrics and the arrangements went a bit too far for the Lord. We blush in shame at what we're offering to the Lord, if you're really sensitive, and it should be a clause, a cause for alarm. For the heart that is sensitive to the holy presence of the Lord will pick up the slightest cringe because the Lord is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Personal holiness. This is the second thing that we want to discuss. Another missing link is personal holiness. Many of us, myself included, have dangerously entered the presence of the Lord. Yes, the blood of Jesus allows us into the heavenly holies of holies. But the standard remains the same. Enter at your own peril. Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, went into the temple and it was their turn as Levites to handle the altar of incense. The altar of incense represents the prayers of the people of Israel. But Nadab and Abihu decided to burn strange fire on the altar. Now, we do not know what they were doing, and it's left up to speculation what they were burning on the altar. But we can see that they tried to do something on this altar that was forbidden by the Lord, and they've deliberately desecrated it. According to the instructions of the Lord given to Moses, only what the Lord commanded is to be burned. Anything else is prohibited. And when they've attempted to burn something other than what the Lord commanded, Fire came up and burned them. They weren't expecting to be judged. And that's the way it is with deliberately sinning against God. When there's no fear of God before our eyes, judgment is swift and without regret. For God is holy and he is to be feared above all gods. Now, this is the Old Testament and we understand that there's a difference between what we're to do in the New Testament. However, we should approach the Lord with great fear and reverence. When we lack personal holiness, we're thumbing our noses at God and we dare him to stop us. We honestly believe that we would get away with it. 
in pride and in arrogance and with intentional defiance. Hebrews chapter four and verse 13 says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What Nadab and Abihu had done was blatant. It was total disregard for the holy presence of God. It was a direct and deliberate act that demanded God to instantly judge them. When personal holiness isn't there, how could we worship him in spirit and in truth? Again, the woman at Jacob's well was confronted with her secret sexual sins and attempted to declare to the Messiah that she's a worshiper. Her sin was exposed. You and I can't worship God in a temple or in Jerusalem or in a church with sin present in the heart. What we've done is that we've knowingly desecrated the place where worship is to take place and brought the very thing that God hates into his temple. The third thing, Shiloh. Some of us may remember this story. In 1 Samuel, the children of Israel didn't uh, get it that God was serious when it comes to obedience. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, the name Hophni means pugilist and Phinehas means mouth of a serpent. Now, let me point something out to you. Now, uh, uh, when you see uh, that uh, Phinehas means mouth of a serpent, uh, that means that he was a smooth talker, in my opinion. And uh, 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 for for Hafni, he was a pugilist. And we can take from that that we all know that a pugilist is a fighter. Uh, how many of you know that a rapist is fighting against the will of a woman or even a male? It doesn't make a difference if you're raping a male or a female. But the, the point is clear that a a pugilist is an individual that strikes, that hits. And that's what tends to happen in rape, like in sexual rape. Even pornography is filled with rape acts. But because we're sitting there and enjoying the lust of our eyes of that individual that's being raped, uh, we don't take into consideration that a crime is in progress in some of those instances. And, and we just try to put it off and, and try to separate the two, uh, you know, pornography and uh, 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 prostitutes. Uh, there was a former prostitute by the name of Shelly Lubin, and she pointed out clearly because she was confronted with that. And, and because some, some male said uh, that, well, I separate prostitution from pornography. And she said that porn stars are prostitutes. And there's a reason. Prostitutes are on a pay scale and what they get is low end money. But with prostitution, you can name your own price. And so that is clear in that world. Now, with uh, Hophni and Phinehas, we see that they were also considered sons of Belial. Belial means worthless. In first Samuel chapter two and verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Now, when you see they did not know the Lord, doesn't that uh, bring you to us a, a, a portion of scripture in the book of Matthew chapter seven and uh, beginning uh, at verse 21? Uh, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my father, which is in heaven. 
For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done many wonderful works in your name? And then I will say to them, depart from me, you that work lawlessness. I never knew you. Look at the word corrupt, that scripture that I read from 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12. According to Strong's Dictionary of Biblical Words, corrupt means without profit, worthlessness, by extension, destruction, wickedness, belial, evil, naughty, ungodly men, wicked. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Remember that? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Again, from Strong's Dictionary of Biblical Words, in the Greek, Belial of Hebrew origin, worthlessness, Belial as an epithet, of Satan, Belial, worthless or wicked, a name of Satan. The two brothers bought Eli's favor by giving him food to eat. They've kept their father happy on food and Eli was heavy, meaning that he was obese. He was overweight. But besides the point, the sons of Eli perverted the temple and Eli honored his sons above God. Eli should have judged his sons but he didn't. So the sons of Eli violated two things. Number one, the offering of the Lord and number two, sexual immorality in the temple. In first Samuel chapter two, verse 22 and 23. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. God turned the yearning of the heart of Hannah, who cried for a son. Samuel was his name. He was turned into the birthing rod of correction to the entire house of Israel. Long story short, first Samuel chapter three, verse 11 says, then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. These stories are important because there's such a blatant attitude towards the house of the Lord. Uh, then that is continued in what we see today. What did the Lord do? Israel gathered together at, uh, uh, in battle against the Philistines beside Ebenezer. Ebenezer is located north of Jerusalem, and it would be there that the Lord would help Israel defeat the Philistines. But the Philistines gathered for battle in Aphek. The Philistines killed 4,000 Israelites. Israel answered their own question. The question was, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, let me point something out. We do the same thing in church. 
when we are experiencing uh, uh, unknowingly and sometimes knowingly the chastisement of the Lord, we go for uh, certain items that we know would work. Some of us may have seven steps to answered prayer or 10 steps to successful prayer. And we go down those steps, but in none of those steps, we do not see repentance from dead works and faith towards God. We're not serious about sin. We're just serious about getting out of the incident so that we can go on our merry way. But you see, that's what the children of Israel had done. And that's the lesson that we have to learn to remember Shiloh. The children of Israel from top to bottom were in sin. And they figured that they can bring the Ark of the Covenant out and the Philistines would be scared and that it would turn the tide. It would be the trick that that would uh, uh, get the defeat off of Israel. But it was to be the other way around because God had planned this all along and, and it, initi- it initiated with the birthing of Samuel from Hannah. So uh, the story goes on that the hand of the Lord, they, they wanted to be saved from the hand of their enemies, but the hand of the Lord was against the Israelites. And this is what we do in church. In sin, we bring our best emotional praise. When we received a defeat that should have been recognized as the chastisement of the Lord so that it would drive us to repentance. The Israelites didn't see that they were being judged. Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. To judge ourselves is to pronounce ourselves guilty in, in his sight and to bring fruit, meat for repentance. Meat, fruit for repentance, meaning that you confess and forsake Sin, you depart from iniquity. The proof of solid, qualified repentance is when we depart from it, never to play the hypocrite and never to return to our folly. The children of Israel were oblivious to the sin that brought about the judgment of God, and that's what we have among pastors, music ministers, and praise and worship teams and ultimately the people in the pew. Not all of them, but they know who they are. Sexual immorality is running rampant in these places among pastors, music ministers, and praise and worship teams. Pastor, choose your music minister wisely. Examine you, pastor, before you examine the music minister or your praise and worship team. And I stress again, this must be a random act. You must pull them aside from service and begin to get into the deep questions to see if anyone is hiding deep, dark sins, secret sexual sins in their lives and presenting it before the Lord and and doing it before the people. And then ultimately it gets into the people. And next thing you know, you have a, a, a orgy going on in your camp. And it may be hidden, but you, we all know what it says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 2. There is nothing hidden that shall not be known. Soon it will come out because God wants this exposed. He prefers that we judge ourselves so that way we would not be judged. And on top of that, even before that, he wants us to stay away from these things, from all sin. And that will bring and keep the presence of God upon 
the, the house of worship. So there's no fear of God before their eyes. They assume that when there's such a resounding defeat, they run to get what worked in the past to get them out of the predicament that they're currently in. And I was doing the same thing and God wasn't pleased one bit. I played the hypocrite. When Israel brought out the ark, they shouted with such a shout that the earth shook. The Philistines were terrified, but the Philistines manned up because they didn't want to be slaves of the Israelites. This brings us to number four, the fear of the Lord. Here's a series of scriptures. Proverbs chapter one and verse seven says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs eight and verse 13 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth. I hate Proverbs nine and verse 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Romans chapter 3 and verse 18 says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. In Psalm 31 and verse 1, An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, Therefore having these promises, the promises listed in, Second Corinthians chapter six, verses 14 through 18. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can you see the reoccurring theme here? The fear of God. This is not just reverence for God. This is talking about being afraid of God because people are afraid of police officers. People are afraid of the judge. People are afraid of the prosecutor. How much more we should be afraid of God. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses nine through 11 says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him, meaning to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with, fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We always love to quote that part, but we never talk about that. We should be seeking out our own soul salvation with fear and trembling. Hebrews therefore for God is uh, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See that part can't work for you if you're not working out your own soul salvation in fear and in trembling. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 28 and 29 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire.
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 22, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call upon the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he is indeed what and he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 27 through 31, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, meaning God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The fear of the Lord is of imperative importance. We're allowed into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, the Lord Jesus is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. He gave up his life as a ransom to pay for the penalty of our sin. If our sin wasn't paid for, and since we can't pay for our own sins, first, there's no remission of sin. There's no releasing of our debt. And when our debt isn't paid, we are in eternal debt. For the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But through God's mercy, he spared us. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 8 says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. We talk so much about grace and we leave out mercy. There can be no grace without mercy, and there can be no mercy without grace. Without grace and mercy, there can be no peace. Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 18 says, for he 
Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father. Isaiah chapter 53 verses four through six says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed spiritually. All we like, and that's my addition, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, we must, number one, worship him in spirit and in truth. Number two, we must maintain personal holiness. Number three, we must remember what took place in Shiloh. And number four, we must fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means to be in terror and to be very afraid of God. Criminals, again, are afraid of police officers, juries, prosecutors, and judges. How much more should we be in fear of our God? You've been listening to The Minister's Crucible. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.